0: This is Criminal Behaviorology, the combination of criminology and behavior analysis to assist the criminal justice and civil justice systems and to improve our society in general. Check us out on automatic.com or Anchor.fm for this podcast, as well as our Facebook page and our blogger account. to prison McCollum said to have an encyclopedic knowledge of all things transit related
1: all of his crimes were victimless he would safely make all of the stops make the announcements
0: he says I'm volunteering my time as if he's a high schooler getting community service hours Now, he's been picked up 20 times for the same thing. McCollum claims to have commandeered more than
1: 100 buses for joy rides over the past 30 years.
0: McCollum has such a lengthy
1: rap sheet of transit-related crimes, he has his own Wikipedia page.
0: Because I have Asperger's syndrome, I have trouble making friends. I didn't want to be bullied, I didn't want to be picked on, I didn't want to have to be beaten up.
1: When he was young, when he was assaulted, He lost that sense of value as to who he is. Wearing a uniform creates a sense of value for Darius. It was like I was married to the MTA. He can't help it. My son, he doesn't belong there because he doesn't hurt anybody.
0: While he was in jail, he never got any therapy. There's a possibility I could definitely die in jail. He has been stuck in this
1: revolving door for his whole entire life.
0: And what you just heard there was the trailer for the 2016 film Off the Rails, the story of uh, Darius McCullum. This is a 2016 documentary, and the filmmaker, director is mr adam irving and if i actually hear on uh, a youtube video where i got the trailer says darius mccullum has a love of transport that has led him to being jailed 32 times spending 23 years in prison despite never harming any person or property suffering from asperger's syndrome over three decades Darius has commandeered New York buses and subway trains only to correctly drive their routes and announce the stops. A remarkable story of society's failure to channel the harmless passions of a mentally challenged man into a productive life. And there's actually been, I've seen several television specials about the Darius McCullum case and also... Uh, some different uh, newspaper and web articles about this same case that you may be able to find. Recently, I attended the Association for Behavior Analysis International's annual autism conference that took place on the January 18th, 19th, and 20th in San Francisco, California. I presented a poster on there about autism and crime in honor of the issue, cases like this, and also gave some information out about the podcast, Criminal Behaviorology, that you're listening to right now. I noticed that there was a lot of interest in the Darius McCullum case, and I got in contact with the filmmaker... Mr. Irving, and we went ahead and had an interview. And I'm going to play that for you in just a little bit. If you look on the podcast on the on the show notes, we're going to have a link to Mr. Irving's movie and then some other information about the Darius McCullum case. As we'll talk about, I think this is a good example of perhaps where the criminal justice system isn't quite up to date with the modern understanding of mental health conditions and problems that people may have. It's very old ideas about you get caught, you pay a price, which in many cases is completely appropriate. But is, that, is it as simple as, as that in every case? And I think that's what the Darius McCollum case illustrates. So go ahead and have a listen here. To my interview with Adam Irving, and if you have any feedback, go ahead and and give us a review on on iTunes or any of the podcasts that this comes across, or go on the Facebook page, or the Blogger page, or send us an email criminalbehaviorology at gmail dot com, and let us know what you think adam how are you this evening i'm doing well now you are a film producer
1: yes i i generally just call myself a filmmaker because i'm the director as well i've never really produced a film without also shooting it and editing it and doing all that Mm -hmm.
0: and what got you into this particular line of work
1: That started when I was a teenager. I just became fascinated by movies, and I got a job at my local independent video store and watched a lot of movies and then majored in film in college and then grad school, and I actually wanted to be a film history professor, uh, but that didn't work out. I left my Ph.D. program and moved to Hollywood to be a filmmaker, and that just felt like a better fit than... Studying and teaching film, I thought, why don't I make these movies that I've been mm-hmm. uh, learning about for so many years? And so here I am.
0: Right, you you find uh, are you are you learning more this way? You think than you would have in in academia.
1: Well, in academia, I was studying theory, history, and criticism. We never actually learned how to make movies; we just <laughs> learned how to analyze them. Right. So. Now that I'm making them, I'm certainly learning way more about filmmaking than I did when I was in school, but I ceased my academic study of film a long time ago, so I've forgotten about a lot of the the old classic films that I studied and the old directors and a lot of the history because I've been so focused on, you know, learning the equipment and actual storytelling and budgeting and things like that.
0: Mm -hmm what's the hardest part of being a director and a filmmaker
1: for me it's actually depending on other people Mm -hmm. see if i was just a photographer or a painter i could envision something and then execute it but if you want to be let's say an architect or a film director you need to hire dozens and sometimes hundreds of people to help you execute your vision. Mm-hmm. And at the end at the end of the day when someone's working for you and it's not their baby, it's not their movie, they never really care as much as you do. So you're always trying to you know, inspire and, you know, encourage people to work a little harder and and give you a little bit more. And it's sometimes hard to get that from people who are late or unreliable because they're working on 10 other films. So I wish I had like a hundred more of me so I could do everything my way. But in the meantime, I I just have to, uh, you know, make teamwork work for me.
0: So you're kind of the captain of the ship, so to speak, when it comes to filmmaking. Yeah. Why did you become interested in a a film on this subject matter, on the the life of Darius McCollum?
1: Well, the story of Darius McCollum really fascinated me because, first of all, it's a story of an imposter. And Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in people who can get up every day and pretend to be someone they're not. Uh, especially if they're not hurting anyone or damaging any property. It just amazes me that people can live a lie their, their whole lives. And and that's who Darius McCollum was and is. Mm-hmm. Secondly, Darius's story is, is a very New York story. A lot of people in New York have heard of Darius McCollum. They know of him as this famous subway driver imposter who's been arrested many times for the same bizarre crime and i used to live in new york and i used to take the subway every day mm-hmm. so when i learned about darius that there is this guy who was driving hundreds of buses and subway trains uh, you know as an imposter i thought maybe he drove my subway train you know one of those days and Lastly, uh, I guess I, I just am drawn to crime stories. You know, they're, they're really hot right now with documentaries. And um, it's, not, it's not just about an imposter, but about a guy who keeps going through the criminal justice system and dealing with judges and lawyers and courts. And that whole world is just really interesting to me because, you know, your, your life is at stake, your freedom, when you go to jail and you, you commit a crime.
0: Yeah, I lived in New York in 98 and 99, so do you think I could have uh, ridden on one of the subways uh, Darius was uh, commanding?
1: Uh, yeah, it's quite likely, because up until 9-11, most of Darius's crimes focused on driving subway trains, especially in the 90s. After 9-11, when security got tighter, mm-hmm. he transitioned into buses.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That
1: became his specialty, yeah.
0: Okay, so it, it starts out with uh, Darius and his first arrest for absconding with either a, uh, probably then was a, s- a subway, it Was what age was he or about what year was this?
1: Well, the first time Darius was actually caught driving uh-huh. uh, a subway train was in 1981 when he was about 15 Mm -hmm. and it got in the New York Times it was on television and it was a really big deal that this young kid commandeered a subway train and more importantly he made all of the stops and the announcements and kept the train on schedule for eight stops until he was caught by the police so it's kind of funny because you know his mother was so upset that her son you know got arrested and was in the newspaper but she was also proud of him that he did such a good job driving the train even (laughs) though he stole it
0: so he did a stellar job as a as a train operator yes and
1: has ever since
0: yeah and what, what is it about what is known about his life that uh that led him to this he's He's been diagnosed with Asperger's disorder, or we'll say uh, autism spectrum disorder. Is that right?
1: Yes, he actually wasn't diagnosed until his 30s, because when he was a kid in the 70s and 80s, little was known about um, autism mm-hmm. and, and Asperger's. And so they didn't really have a name for what Darius had. So they just said, oh, the kid's got behavioral problems, or he's a little professor that knows all these useless facts and things like that. So Darius, uh, by being on the spectrum, has a very good memory for statistics and maps and charts and schedules. And he's fascinated by things that are repetitive and predictable. So he likes trains a lot more than cars, for example, because, you know, cars can get stuck in traffic, they can veer off the road, they don't run on a schedule, they're driven by individuals who do whatever they want, but trains, they only go forward or back, and they're on a track, and they're on a schedule, so they're predictable, and the routes that they take are always the same. They can be memorized, so I think Darius was really drawn to the way he could organize and memorize all of this information on the New York City transit system. And he wanted to master it. That's what made him feel good about himself. But also to provide a service to the public by driving the trains and the buses and getting people from point A to point B in a safe and timely fashion.
0: Was that part of his motive to basically to help people?
1: Yeah, he sees himself as a public servant who doesn't get paid. Mm -hmm. And I think because he's never really had many friends... the the public sort of became his friends the idea that he's helping people made him feel good because otherwise he'd just be alone and wouldn't really have any human interaction Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, did he have any traumatic experiences in his life that may have led to this behavior or this fixation with him yes
1: when Darius was oh I think around 11 or so He was in school, this was in the 70s, in one of New York's worst snowstorms on record. And only one other kid in his class made it to school because of the poor weather. The buses weren't running. And this kid and Darius were both given puzzles to do by the teacher to keep busy. And the other kid finished his puzzle and tried to take Darius's puzzle that Darius was still working on And Darius wouldn't give it to him. So the kid took a pair of scissors and stabbed Darius in the back. And it almost killed him. It resulted in a collapsed lung. Mm -hmm. And Darius uh, went to the hospital and was in a coma. And so pretty much for the rest of his life, since that moment, he is afraid of having people walk behind him when he's sitting in a chair because he's afraid he's going to be stabbed. So he likes to always make sure people are in front of him. Mm -hmm. And because of that, He was afraid to go back to school because he was afraid he'd get bullied again or stabbed again. So he started skipping class and going to the place where he felt safe, which of course was underground in the subway. And that's where he made friends with with all of the subway workers who were adults who he could trust that weren't going to bully him or stab him, unlike the kids at school that he was hiding from. So that's really where his life changed from being a regular student to this person obsessed with subways and going there for all of his socializing because he wasn't going to school anymore.
0: So this case has some uh, aspects of maybe post-traumatic uh, stress disorder, that kind of thing, that was a factor in, in Darius's life.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a, like a trigger incident that led to trauma and, and really avoiding having a normal life because of what happened to him.
0: For uh, for behavior analysts, we we might say that this was partially, uh, we'll say, escape maintained, you know, escape of the tr- traumatic situations that he was going through, so that led him into the driver's seat of a, a of a subway car, and then yes, ma- absolutely, and then another motive is is was it does seem to to help people, and then to uh, to have this intricate knowledge, make use of this intricate knowledge of the train system. Correct. Is it true that he's, he's had how many arrests total, would you say?
1: Darius has had, I believe, 32 arrests since right. he was a teenager, and those are just the times where he's been caught driving trains and buses illegally. He claims to have taken over 500 trains and buses for joyrides and various things like that. So in total, in total, for these 32 arrests... Darius has spent over twenty years total in maximum security prison and in various local jails in New York City. You know, while he's been awaiting trial at various times.
0: So so why couldn't the uh, the police and the subway uh, authorities, the MTA, why couldn't they stop him from doing these things?
1: Well, they could they did stop him 32 times but Uh they couldn't they couldn't catch him the other times because darius is a master of disguise and manipulation he talks the talk and he walks the walk so if you were an mta worker like a subway driver in new york and darius was working with you you wouldn't know that he was an imposter (laughs) because he's he would get uniforms he would make the uniforms, mm-hmm. he would get the keys, he would get fake IDs that said he worked for the uh, transit system, and okay. he knew he, he had memorized all 468 subway stations and schedules and routes, so you would never suspect that there was anything fishy about him, because he acted like the guys who actually worked for the transit authority. Um, so that's, that's the main way he got away with it, is that he didn't come off as someone who wasn't supposed to be there.
0: Did they actually have uh, warning posters up or, you know, uh, look out for this guy. He might try and get in control of the train and things like that.
1: Yeah, those are called BOLOs. BOLO stands for Be On The Lookout. Mm -hmm. And they would place these BOLO posters in staff area. So if you were on the subway, you would never see these posters. They were only posted in the locker rooms for the transit workers. Right. And so, you know, there were many workers that noticed these posters and memorized Darius's face. But, um, you know, it was like a low resolution picture. And maybe the <laughs> posters would only be up for a few days or a few weeks and then they'd be taken down. And there'd be new workers who hadn't seen the posters who didn't know who Darius was. But he also, you know, he wore disguises, he would put on weight, he would lose weight. So even if you had seen the Bolo poster, you know, if a few months passed, you might not recognize Darius um, if he looked different or, like I said, if the employee was new or something like that. So um, the other thing is there were employees who did know who he was, but they liked him Uh and they didn't report him because he would do their jobs for them for free. So imagine you're a New York City bus driver, and you see Darius in the bus depot, and instead of telling on him, Darius, uh, you go to Darius and you say, Hey, Darius, do you want to drive my bus? And he'd say, Of course, I'd love to. So Darius would drive the bus route, and the guy who was supposed to be driving would go home and you know spend the day with his wife and get paid for a day of work that Darius was doing for him for free.
0: In a sense, they exploited him.
1: Yeah, you could say that they did because he did their work and when he got caught, he would go to jail and those people who gave up their buses or their trains to him, they never got in trouble because Darius made a point of never saying who gave him the keys or who gave him the ID uh-huh. or who gave him the bus.
0: Uh-huh. They got paid and then uh, he got in trouble. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, is it accurate that he he helped uh, or he was somehow involved in, in negotiating a union contract or part of the negotiation phase for the union?
1: Yeah, there's a, a nice little scene in the, the documentary I made about <laughs> Darius uh, showing how Darius took his obsession so far that instead of just you know driving the trains and the buses in the New York transit system, he actually lobbied for the employees to get better working conditions and higher pay during a a famous strike. I think it was in the early 90s. And this is a guy, Darius, who never even worked for the MTA, and yet he marched and and went on strike with the workers, and they even asked him to be the head of the union because he was so passionate. (laughs) And, And he had to tell these guys secretly that he didn't even work for the MTA, let alone could he be a union leader. And they were so blown away by that. Because he was the most passionate and knowledgeable of all the subway workers, and yet wasn't even part of the transit system, so that was, uh, you know, for me a really funny moment because it showed how far he was willing to take his his dedication of being a good Samaritan.
0: It it sounds like uh, Darius is the best uh, non paid supporter of the MTA they've ever had.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the irony is that the MTA hates Darius because even though he's, you know, driving their trains and buses for free, the, the, the higher-ups at the Transit Authority are so afraid, one, that one day he's going to crash a bus or a train, mm-hmm. and because he's not insured, could cause a huge disaster. Mm-hmm. And secondly... Darius has made the MTA look really bad because he's yeah. proven how easy it is to steal a bus or train and get away with it.
0: I think that's one of the most surprising things of the story, that, uh, that uh, people just assume, well, uh, you know, there's not going to be anyone in there that doesn't belong, and yet he's able to do this with such stealth time and time again that uh, and also apparently with some help from the inside that uh, that really surprises people especially in consideration that Darius has a has a condition he's on the spectrum that uh, someone's able to do this is maybe one of the most surprising aspects of the story
1: it is it is very surprising to most people because they assume that there's all of these security checks in place but one, that I was surprised by that Darius demonstrates even in my film is that New York City buses don't have a key they don't require a key Mm -hmm. to start so if you see a bus running or not even running just pulled over on the street and the doors are open anyone can just walk right in sit in the driver's seat press the uh, start button and drive away there's no there's no uh, you know fancy manual gear shifter or anything it's just a, a regular automatic transmission in theory, anyone could just go into a bus, start it up, and drive it away, and at least get away with it until the GPS tracker reveals where the bus is.
0: Uh, what kind of uh, uh, criminal sanctions has Darius been facing? I mean, he at one point he was facing a, a great deal of time, is that right?
1: Yeah, I think... Uh, I don't know if they still have it but a lot of states you know have a three strike rule. Right. And da- and Darius was well beyond his third strike. Yeah. So he was looking at life in prison which is I don't know 20 25 years something like that yeah. for you know fairly minor crime. Well, I can't remember exactly what he did the last time. But that would have really been the end of his life because he's now well into his 50s and not in the best of health given that he's been uh, on a, a prison diet for the last uh, three decades mm-hmm. and uh, with little exercise so luckily he hasn't been given a uh, life sentence yet because every time he's facing that sentence he makes a plea deal with the prosecutor to right. essentially say look i know what i did i'm 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 not embarrassed, I'm happy to admit it and plead guilty if you reduce my sentence from life to, let's say, three years or five years, which of course is still a long time, but a lot less than you know, spending the rest of his life behind bars.
0: Yeah, a common three strikes you're out or habitual felon uh, charge would be th- three separate felonies and stealing three separate subway trains or buses count as three separate felonies. Yeah, I think they would. And, and the, well, they've even had cases where people have written three separate bad checks and have been under threat of receiving a, a habitual offender charge, or a three-strikes-or-out charge. So, yeah, and, and the, the only thing the defendant can do is try and get it pled down to a lighter sentence. Yeah. So, uh, where is Darius currently?
1: Well, right now, Darius is in a place he's never been before, which is a a little bit exciting because instead of being sentenced to a correctional facility, uh, a couple months ago, a judge sentenced him to a locked mental health facility. Mm -hmm. So right now, Darius is in Rochester, New York, at a mental institution that is locked. So it's essentially like a prison in that... The residents aren't allowed to leave, but it is not an actual prison. So Darius is actually given, you know, mental health treatment. And this is the first time in his life that he's been sentenced to a mental health facility instead of a correctional facility. So that sentencing represents a lot of progress for the New York State correctional system (laughs) that they're finally seeing that just locking people up doesn't really help if the core of the cause of the crime is a mental health issue and not a criminal issue so darius calls me every week uh, from this facility and he tells me that it's you know it's all right it's better than prison but there's one big problem at this particular facility it's up to the doctors there right when 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 darius will be released in other words once he's quote unquote cured then they can release him into the general population but because there is no cure for asperger's they could keep him there forever whereas at least if he was in a state prison as bad as it is being in a state prison they would eventually have to let him out based on his let's say five-year sentence so there are some pluses and minuses to him being at this um, mental health facility versus a correctional facility.
0: Mm -hmm. Do do they have to show that, uh, and I know how some of this stuff works, but do they have Mm -hmm. to show that he could be a danger to himself or others in the the condition that he is in order to keep him at such a facility?
1: I don't know if they have to continually Mm -hmm. demonstrate that, but I think, Essentially, Darius has to prove that he's changed, that he's less Mm -hmm. of a threat, and I know that his lawyer really fought to prove that he was not a dangerous person, Mm -hmm. mainly because he has never hurt anyone Mm -hmm. or damaged any property. But the prosecutor was able to prove, you know, using various um, stories about Darius, that um, although he's not directly a violent person, he he does represent a threat to society in the broader sense because he's not formally trained or insured and he's driving you know public vehicles with dozens of people on them that who could be killed. It's just that he hasn't done anything dangerous yet, but that doesn't mean he won't have an accident or, or slip up you know in the future. Mm-hmm. so I can I can see their point. you know mm-hmm. he is he is in a sense a threat to society because, he does not obey the rules he, he does not respect the law and he's got people's lives in his hand when he's driving a, mm-hmm. a subway train in rush hour with 2,000 people on it
0: mm-hmm. uh, do you think this case has uh, raised questions about our basic criminal justice system of you know you, you get caught you get punished you pay your debt to society either in, as a stay in prison or maybe probation or parole or something like that. Or perhaps you will be found uh, insane. You'll be found like you're, uh, the basic standard is you just, because of a mental illness, you just simply could not control your behavior. But Darius doesn't seem to really, he doesn't seem to fit the mold for either of those two areas. Emma, if, if I'm kind of making sense here about what, Darius's particular case.
1: I once heard someone put it this way that Darius is not quote unquote crazy enough to be put in the loony bin because he is a fairly sensible person. He does understand that what he's doing is wrong. He has never hurt anyone. He he doesn't, you know, hear voices or talk to himself or do anything that would present as having severe mental illness. And yet he's not sane enough to be treated like a regular criminal who knows the difference between right and wrong because no sane, mentally healthy person would commit the same crime 32 times in a row knowing what the consequences were. So there's clearly something wrong with Darius emotionally that needs uh, therapeutic treatment, and incarceration is not going to solve it because they just warehouse you in a, in a cage, essentially, mm-hmm. and feed you, and then when you get out, you're you're just as likely as before to commit the same crime again because you actually haven't been rehabilitated you've just been punished so punishment works on people who you know perhaps really are evil and understand what they're doing is wrong and and just need that strong deterrent but Darius is not deterred by prison partially because he thrives on the routine of it mm-hmm. because of his because of his Aspergers
0: mm-hmm. y- yeah uh it's a uh... No matter how much they punished him, it wouldn't matter. And, and these, these concepts of uh, you know, criminal justice, it, it's, it goes back centuries. But now that we know about conditions like Asperger's or autism spectrum or other things, it's, it seems to bring up new questions with a case like this of how we'll successfully rehabilitate people and then what the rehabilitation would actually be, it seems to me.
1: Yeah, I think it's a it's a good case that demonstrates the current limitations of the criminal justice system, and that, as you said earlier, not everyone fits in that mold of you do the crime, you do the time, and then everything's okay. Uh,
0: what kind of uh, reaction have you gotten to this? Uh, it came out in 2016. Uh, it's been a pretty popular film. It's been an award winning film.
1: Uh, yes, it's. Done especially well with uh, critics and reviews. It has a 100% score on Rotten Tomatoes, which is Uh the the highest in the world. It was a New York (laughs) Times uh, critics' pick and has received, you know, best in show honors at numerous film festivals. So I've been very happy with the way that um, critics have perceived it. Um, I guess I'm a little disappointed with, um, I guess, the overall popularity of it because I wasn't able to get to get the film into a, a major platform like Netflix mm-hmm. where, you know, everyone would have seen it. You know, you can you can rent it on Amazon or iTunes or buy it on DVD like pretty much any other film. But most people that I tell about my film, they say, you know, I, I think I remember hearing about it, but they don't know where they could have seen it or what channel it was on. So I guess I just wish I, was a, I, I could have found a more high profile platform for it to show for, for example, when it played in theaters, you know, it played for a couple of months in you know, 10 or 11 cities, but it didn't have like a, you know, massive national release in hundreds of theaters, the way some bigger films do. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, financially it, 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 it you know, it, it costs some money to make and, um, I haven't made that much back. Mm. So that's also been a struggle, But, all things considered, it is definitely a fairly successful film, and I know this because I'm, uh, you know, have been in the documentary world for a a bit of time now, and a lot of my peers make films that, uh, you know, I think are are just as good, but they don't really go anywhere, and they don't make any money at all. So, relative to a lot of my peers, I actually feel like I've done pretty well, Mm -hmm. and um, I'm very happy with the way the film has turned out, and after, like you said, the film was initially released in 2016, it still is playing at film festivals, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's, it's definitely, you know, does not have the same buzz it had a, f- a few years ago. But the the, the new development for, for me in the film is that Darius himself finally saw the film just a few weeks ago. Oh. Ye- Years, years after it came out. Right. And that's been so difficult because, like, strangers all over the world have, you know, sent me messages and emails of how much they like the film, and yet the very person that the film is about, who stars in the film, hasn't been able to see it because he's been in jail this whole time and right. won't let him watch it. So finally, he got to see it, and he called me, and he said he gives it four and a half stars out of five, which oh. I think is pretty good. Okay. And uh, he said it was better than expected, which was uh, actually a little bit insulting. <laughs> and, uh, and lastly, he said that I shouldn't call it my film, but I should call it our film. So Darius wants a uh-huh. lot more credit for having participated in the film. But I explained to him that, you know, he's not the filmmaker. Uh-huh. I, did, and I did the filming, so it's still my film. Right. And he, uh, he accepted that.
0: Okay. Is he the star of it?
1: Yeah, he's definitely the star. Okay. And he, he and he would love that title because he loves attention, he uh-huh. loves knowing that there's a movie about him out there, that thousands of people every day are, are watching this movie about him, and that his name is, is, is um, like in the history books.
0: Was there going to be a, or maybe they're already in production, a feature film about this particular case?
1: Yeah, that was some uh, exciting news I got a couple years ago when I was... Uh, Finishing up filming uh, off the rails, there was a, a Hollywood production company that um, you know got the rights to do a fictionalized film based on Darius's life. You know, with actors like a, a narrative film, and they were they were able to get uh, to cast Julia Roberts to play Darius's attorney in the film. Okay. But I've re- I've recently learned that she's no longer on board. And the mm-hmm. film—it still looks like it's happening, but sometimes these projects can literally take a decade to get off the ground. But from what I understand, it's been financed, and they're, and, and um, there's a script uh, which I've read, which looks great, mm-hmm. and um, and they got to figure out who's going to play Darius. And uh, I think also what they're you know working on is finding a happy ending. You know, a uh-huh. lot of Hollywood movies generally need a happy ending to do well. Yeah. And Darius's story doesn't really have a happy ending because it's still going on, right. and Dari- Darius is still essentially in jail. And um, you know it's kind of hard to end a movie like that. So they're, I think they're really trying to work on finding a way to have, at least in the film version, um, uh, some kind of positive resolution to yeah. the story.
0: Hollywood wants a happy ending, so yes. Yeah. Uh, do you have any film projects uh, that you're you've got uh, in the hopper that you're working on?
1: I do, but I, I I have two that unfortunately I can't discuss uh, discuss either of them. But they're both pretty pretty big projects that uh, I will probably be working on for the next while. But they're also both uphill battles um, mm-hmm. in trying to trying to get the project sold because mm-hmm. uh, we're we're in a golden age for documentaries, which is great. But it also means that everyone and their goat is trying to make a documentary, so there's a lot of competition. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's hard to get noticed in a very crowded media landscape. So that's about all I can say for now about that.
0: Well, then we'll, we'll be wishing you the best of luck. We think you did a great job with Off the Rails. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting movie. And I, anyone interested in, in true crime, like you said, or, or uh, crime and uh, mental illness and mental health treatment ought to check it out. Go ahead and find. You can. I'll put your website up uh, when we put up the podcast, and maybe people people can check it out that way. Yeah, great. Okay, Uh, it's been a great discussion, and we, like I said, we wish you the best. Perhaps you could uh, tell Darius that the world's interested in his story. Absolutely, I will. And uh, thanks for having me.